Hey guys, welcome to the debrief. David, what'd you think of that Joel episode? Oh, just like it was uh, one of the most fantastic Bankless episodes that I think we've done in a long time. You know, you know, I like like the really brainy, really philosophical, long-term thinking uh, topics. Uh, and I think this falls along that track, just uh, along with our, our Moloch episode, our Bankless Nation episode, and a number of one of these very brainy topics that, uh, you know, and, and the, one of the reasons why I really like this episode is we go from very concrete, actionable things which is talking about the way that fees are managed inside the Uniswap protocol, going all the way to intergenerational conversations and how the young people relate <laughs> to older people. Like we go from we go from Uniswap to generational strife. Uh, and Joel Monegro was a fantastic guest to help us get that done. Do you think you're going to be one of those people like yelling at the the younger generation, screaming at clouds, telling them to get off your lawn as you're arguing with them about the immutable blockchain? I mean, you seem more like uh, of the idea that uh, we'd create some lasting institutions that our great grandkids might actually uh, appreciate. But, you know, Joel's pushing back against that a little bit, saying like, hey, man, every four generations, there's got to be a revolution. This mm -hmm. is our revolution now. The next might revolution might be like against, um, against these immutable chains that we've created. Right. What's your take on that? Right. And I, my take on that is that it is up to us. It is up to the people who manage institutions as to how well those institutions can work into the future. Uh, maybe this cycle, this happened, the, the Neil House generational cycle theory, that maybe that is just something so permanently baked into the DNA of humans that we cannot get away from it. However, the difference between the boomers who made the institutions of the 50s and the millennials that are making the crypto network institutions of the future is that the millennials of the crypto network generation are identifying the problems of the previous institutions. And we are plus, talking plus about Gen them. Z. Shout out Gen plus, Z too. Thanks guys. Plus Gen Z. Yeah, yeah. You, you guys are coming too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about how that didn't work in the past and why it didn't work in the past. And because we can communicate these things and name the problem, we can get ahead of the problem. And so while perhaps there's no getting away from these cyclical uh, constructions of order and chaos, creation and, and creative destruction, uh, maybe we can actually help smooth out those periods and perhaps not have such generational conflict and maybe just, you know, generational debate rather than generational crisis. So, but so, so like, you know, how we sort of the, you know, the boomers will, baby boomers will say things. And this is more maybe like, I don't want to stereotype generations. We love our baby boomer audience. Thanks guys for listening. Love you guys. More right. the elite class say things like boomer elites. Well, you know, um, uh, just, just go get a job. Just, just go right. to university, pay Pull off yourself your, up debt, by your bruise just, straps. Yeah. Go get a job. Here's how I did it. X, Y, Z. And millennials are like, yeah, but that's not how it is now, right? right? You lived in a different era where things were different. I feel like, uh, you know, grandkids, great grandkids might be saying some of the same thing, David. It's like, yeah, when you grew up, grandpa, um, you got to uni tokens for free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now they're, now they're worth millions of dollars. Uh, I can't afford one ETH, grandpa. You can stake right. ETH, but like this is too expensive. And so there could be a move. Just a right. generational move once again to like wipe the ledgers, you know, mm -hmm. every, every few generations, do you almost have to reset the ledgers of a monetary system in order to um, give growth to the new generations? That's certainly what I would want if I were in my twenties and mm -hmm. like Bitcoin 21 million had already be print, been printed. ETH was already right. awarded to its, you know, there, there weren't the opportunities available for me. So I do kind of, 
think that Joel might be right, might be somewhat inevitable. Mm. Um, but look, man, we'll see. It's not that's a that's a long term thing. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see at the end of our lives. <laughs> it was like, oh, turns out Joel was right <laughs> while we're 80 years old. Um, well, we're still gonna be doing this podcast 80 years old, right? Yeah, so we'll have yeah, Joel so on again. Good. I mean, we, we got it on the calendar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I rem- I'm reminded of uh, what a, a recess episode. Ryan, did you ever watch Recess? No. Oh, you never watched Recess? Okay. No. Uh, old cartoon TV show for kids. And they, uh, the, the lesson, a very, very fast lesson, uh, is this 15-minute episode. And it's a, it's a lesson in business and economics. And the kids at, on Recess are transacting with stickers of a very, st- a very specific brand of stickers like one like one alien set of stickers right <laughs> and one guy becomes a, a, a learns how to manage a business and just starts to generate revenue and stickers and he becomes a hoarder and so then at some point <laughs> he starts to get all of the stickers and he makes everyone work for him so they can get the stickers kind of like a late stage capitalism metaphor and then what happens is one day he comes to school and everyone else is using a different organization of stickers instead of using alien stickers they're using cowboy stickers oh they forked him they forked him. They forced the money. They made <laughs> okay. new money. And they, and like what you just said, they just wiped the slate clean. And maybe when wealth gets too unequal and too separated, uh, maybe the incentive to always fork and wipe the slate, uh, uh, slate clean always arises. And maybe that's why there's always this wheel that turns no matter what. But again, that's why I go back to it's really up to us to really redistribute wealth from the concentration down to the the uh, diffuse, and we need to pass on the king the keys to the kingdom. And one thing that Vitalik said, I think in the um, the uh, Naval Tim Ferriss podcast, is I, I think the the question was posed to him is like, well, what what uh, about Ethereum at maturity after Ether has already been distributed and, and proof of stake is is already generated, have fallen into the hands of people that are going to stake it forever? Uh, and Vitalik said, well. This is why I really have uh, optimism about the app layer, because after Ether distribution happens, uh, you can always make more assets. You can always print new tokens and pr- distribute those tokens in new ways. So maybe Ether distribution does become calcified, but young people can always still find app opportunity in the app layer and find wealth creation there. And that's actually, I think, what we're seeing in this bull market, where the 2017 or the 2018-19 uh, bear market was, I think, where a lot of Ether people came together. People like you and me and Anthony Susano and Eric Connor and DC and Antipro, all these people came together in the bear market and was like, the market is misunderstanding Ether. And we became the Ether people, like the people that planted the flag and said Ether is valuable. The people that I see arising in this uh, the, this bull market, people like Bankless Editor Lucas and, and Cooper, and they, they are going after tokens, social tokens, new tokens. Ah, and, and I think the new, the new generation of, of the, these new cycles are going to go further and further into tokens uh, because that's where the opportunity is. Yeah, I, I, I do think that... Um... Yeah, there. I, I I think that's definitely an effect, right? It's just like everyone's looking for, hey, where's the next 10x, 100x uh, type of mm-hmm. opportunity for me? And um, right right now, this cycle, that actually, I mean, Ether's been, you know, in Bitcoin have been um, very good this cycle from the pits of the, mm-hmm. the the bear market. But the really big asset appreciations have definitely been app layer. Right. And I wonder if there will be new app layers every single cycle. I mean, there's so much mm-hmm. that crypto has to build and digital has to build, right, David? Right. Like, I'm just wondering if it's in a whole whole nother area, right? So, like, we're talking about DeFi apps today. 
maybe next cycle we're talking about like things that help with decentralized identity. That's a whole right. thing mm -hmm. that hasn't been built out yet. But okay, so we are talking like 60 years in the future when you and I are like old grandpas mm -hmm. and uh, having these debates with kids. Let's talk a bit more near term here, right? Mm -hmm. Because one thing that was really interesting to me was Joel's definition of capital. He was like, mm -hmm. capital equals control. Capital Influence, equals power, right. right? Therefore, governance and capital are like, um, you know, two sides of the same coin. It's, it's, they're essentially equivalent. And he thinks that one aspect of crypto, the crypto revolution will be to unleash new wealth. How? By capturing all of the, all of the capital and measuring all of the capital we don't yet quantify, right? Political mm -hmm. capital, like the, the value of uh, social capital, for instance. I think that um, this is really interesting and probably one of the best articulations of the wealth creation event. Like if we think, you know, all traditional capital assets in the world, like money and uh, commodities and stocks and real estate, I don't know, 400 trillion, 500 trillion in value. What Joel's saying is basically there's another like, I don't maybe another 500 trillion out there that mm -hmm. is real capital that is almost like um, dark market capital. It's not being captured. Right. It's not being tokenized. It's not market. being measured, um, mm -hmm. but it's out there. It's like the, you know, dark matter. We, right. we know it's there, but we're hidden not forces. If you're Dimitri Kofinas. Yeah, there you go. So that's all going to come into this new ecosystem. I think that's super interesting, but also a little sci-fi and weird. So mm -hmm. can you imagine a, being able to, um, like tokenize some sort of politician's political capital? What right. is that? Mm -hmm. Like, do, could I buy a token and get to bribe a senator? Like, is that how that <laughs> could work? I mean, because what is today. representation? What is right. representation, right? If, if a token can represent a senator's influence and it goes off to the constituents, there's a lot of like creative engineering that could go along here. And what is, and this is something that I know Dan Finley of MetaMask has uh, talked about a lot is that a social token. We know, we've, we know the Alex Mazmage token is just a token that like this kid allows him, allows a token to govern his life. Uh, and all of a sudden it, that value of that token is actually backed by the representation of the individual. Is that the final form of social tokens? I think not. I think there's some clever engineering that needs to be done to really make this thing more instantiated. But that I think is why tokens always have product market fit, at least in bull markets, and hopefully forever into the future. People love tokens. Tokens are fun to play with. They're easy to mint. They're easy to transact. They're easy to, to send. And they're easy to make some token, some random token, instantiate some sort of value in the world, either by the social layer or by actually building it into the protocol of Ethereum itself. Um, tokens are bullish. What about this idea, though, that like until back to identity, until we have um, identity, some of what we were talking about almost feels a little dystopian to me mm. because um, you have capital making all of the decisions. And yeah, you know, Joel, Joel made the point that um, this will allow new entrants to these institu institutions and hypercapitalism might mean that we, can, we are always in a position where some upstart can go and disrupt the incumbent, right? Um, hyper intense, you know, capitalism might mean that. Although like network effects are pretty powerful, right? Like there might come a point in time where you just can't fork Ethereum because it's too entrenched right. and all of like the DeFi apps are just, you know, there. And unless they also agree, you're not really forking a whole new thing. It's just too entrenched. It almost becomes more like a, how do you fork a nation state? 
like that's really hard, right? Um, mm-hmm. It requires a revolution. It requires bloodshed. Anyway, I just I just worry a little bit about the the crypto future when it's all based on um, capital vote, like token vote, how much right. assets you essentially have, and that's why I feel like uh, we really need identity to complete mm-hmm. this self sovereign story. We need decentralized identity. We don't have any episodes coming up on decentralized identity, David, because I'm not sure that there's much going on in not the space. Not very mature. Mm-hmm. Like there's a few projects, but anyway, that's a worry I have coming away from this episode. Yeah, um, vo- governance by capital and capital alone is not ideal. But at the end of the day, governance by crypto network capital, I think, is still uh, an order of magnitude impre- improvement on current capital because our current capital of the world is very much just equity and company and literally dollars. And mostly it's just equity and company these days, right? And Joel talked about like the reason why perhaps Facebook shouldn't be governing over people that aren't in the United States. There is a inherent misalignment there. And so capital, crypto network capital can always, I think, be more aligned with the people it governs over than something like C-Corp capital. Uh, so that I, I, I'll stay optimistic for because of that reason alone, at the very least. Do you think nation states want to be unbundled? Joel said that uh, we talked early on about the unbundling of nation states here, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, a recurring theme on Bankless. You think they will resist this unbundling? Um, you talked about like the exit right. tax mm-hmm. if you uh, renounce your citizenship to a particular mm-hmm. nation state, right? And that exists. Um, yeah. What's going to happen there, I, do you think? I'm reminded of our episode with uh, Bruno, who talked about how uh, the EU and the European, the Europe area are much more inclined to export some nation state responsibilities to protocols and algorithms. And so maybe the the EU isn't even, I would say, a coherently bundled system anyways. It's already kind of unbundled in a different hodgepodge kind of way. So you know what I got from that Bruno episode? That they were willing Mm -hmm. to do um, algorithms, right? Mm -hmm. But not like they were willing to control the algorithm, like they were willing to digitize mm. things and make algorithms out of the their economies. But I don't still think that them. they were in the business of relinquishing control to anybody well, it's else. A, it's a step <laughs> in the right direction in comparison to the United States, who I does do not think wants to be unbundled. I think yeah. uh, the, the United States, may, maybe prob- probably the, the country that wants to be unbundled the least is China, because that what is totalitarianism other than literally not being unbundled. Um, but the United States, with the reserve asset of the world, along with the financial center of the world, that's 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 all of the the spoils of the world. Like, there's no unbundling that. Like, an unbundling is a loss. Yeah, they have a lot to. The U.S. has a lot to lose if it loses its reserve currency status to mm-hmm. anything, to another nation, mm-hmm. or to a crypto economic system. So. Um, it might resist that. I mean, we haven't seen that, but there's then then there's that conflict between what it has enshrined in its constitution mm-hmm. and um, its its uh, desire to maintain control of these systems. So may may that's something we grapple with, or maybe this is something that um, again evolves like alongside the nation state and never comes into this like direct conflict where it's threatening the nation state so much that the nation state decides to react that's always but look i guess the the counter to all of this would be to the nation state reacting to crypto is like this has been this has been foretold since the beginning of crypto right like that the nation state was going to come and squelch bitcoin and shut it down and somehow yet somehow crypto and bitcoin have survived up to this point by like working alongside the nation state and staying just um, 
I guess, small enough to be out of reach, non-threatening enough to be out of reach, yet still infiltrating the nation state, right? Now, now here we are in, in 2021, uh, and it feels less likely than ever that the US as a whole is going to like come down and try to shut down Bitcoin right. or shut down crypto. So right. if anything, we've actually seen kind of the opposite, which is right. more adoption at the nation state level and less resistance. So maybe that, maybe that will just continue and the final boss will never uh, try to squelch this thing. But right. I always think about that. To some, to some degree, it's inevitable. And I think we all know this, right? Um, but one of the reasons why I think it's inevitable that most people don't appreciate is that an unbundling of the nation state, perhaps it's less of an unbundling because that kind of implies that we are taking old services and replicating them on crypto. But what crypto can do is build new services that the nation state yes. couldn't even begin to think about in the first place. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not ready to, to NFTs, think about what, what those- NFTs, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Right, it's mm -hmm. like a product that didn't exist in the analog industrial right. revolution era, but now it's a product that exists in this digital realm. Do you think that the nation state is going to come up with a complex array of legal agreements to govern mm -hmm. NFTs? No. Right. Right. All of that innovation is going to happen on the, the smart contract side of things, and it's going to happen mm -hmm. in kind of a small niche and then grow to something more mainstream. So. Well, yeah, one thing I'm really interested in, and here's where we'll, we'll start to know that nation states are getting unbundled, is I want to see something like healthcare be put on the Ethereum blockchain, a healthcare services or insurance services for real life events. Uh, and that's a very hard problem to tackle. But healthcare is such a massive problem that you don't even have to get it all that right to already make Ethereum like a better healthcare provider. And if one, if there's one thing Ethereum is good for, it's capital coordination and capital allocation. And what is healthcare other than people buying into an insurance pool and pooling risk together? Uh, this is something that Ethereum can solve. And that this is something that I think the healthcare system is so bad that like any reasonable project could, I think, kind of get off the ground relatively easily. And that starts, and maybe that's that's more of a, a private sector unbundling rather than a nation state unbundling, but it starts well, there and it grows out of that. Well, in a lot of countries, you know, your, the healthcare is the public sector for sure. sure. Just, you know, sure. the US is kind of a, an outlier on that side mm -hmm. of things. But yeah, it's there, there could be something interesting there. But also, like what we said before, is uh, crypto is not going to replace roads and schools and right. a lot of the meat space things that we see it might oh i think it could areas I you think it could. could replace roads and schools right okay so so think but of you might be thinking like distant future stuff very right? distant not... future very okay. distant future all right well perhaps perhaps not think about some combination and, and we'll, perhaps after this we should get back to talking about governance and joel um, <laughs> <laughs> um but like think about some combination of gitcoin and Craigslist and bounties where like, say you can, uh, in, in Gitcoin, you can go to your zip code and you can put up $250 to fix that pothole down the street. Uh, <laughs> and other people will be like, oh, I also hate that pothole. Let me <laughs> add like $300 to this bounty. And all of a sudden this bounty grows to be like $5,000. And somebody's like, well, well, I'll go fix that pothole for $5,000. And then all of a sudden we have Ethereum building roads. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. I, I, I think that if you think about like public goods as a whole, there are some really interesting primitives, right? Gitcoin being an example of that and what Vitalik has pioneered with quadratic voting. I mean, that's been pretty effective. That could solve mm -hmm. some public problems right. um, as well. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, let's get back to Joel on governance. <laughs> Joel, all right. So any other takeaways from that episode for you, David? Yeah, my, my, take, my takeaway is that 
the amount of value in the world. I, I really liked your dark matter metaphor. The, the amount of dark value in the world is perhaps infinite. And when I, when I was taught, when we were talking about it with Joel, we were talking about all the different ways that capital could be instantiated in the world that's outside of just like monetary capital or equity capital. To me, there's the metaphor of like the, the more uh, granular you start to measure a coastline, the longer a coastline of a, of a geographic boundary actually gets. And so no one actually knows how long a coast of a country is like the, the, the English coast, depending on how, how granular you, you can get, it can be one length, or if you zoom out, it can be a different length. And I feel like that metaphor can be applied to capital as well. There, there could be infinite capital in the world. And it's really up to humans to find instruments to instantiate that capital in the world. And one of the reasons why Ethereum could be so bullish is that we know Ethereum as the agnostic, credibly neutral settlement layer of internet value. And we also know uh, that Ethereum is a very efficient and easy way to in make tokens that can have the potential to instantiate capital. Does Ethereum, is this Ethereum the, the settling place of all capital, uh, even not even the, including the all forms of capital that we don't even know about or don't even know how to measure? That's a, that's a big conversation. Yeah, you know, but that is the exact, I think, framing to have on Ethereum and DeFi, right? To mm -hmm. be honest, right? So I think too many people, including us, definitely us, um, try to retrofit the existing financial world and directly map that onto DeFi. And we get to like, or Ethereum, we get to like a certain market cap, right? We're like, mm -hmm. Yeah, and if we took all the value of gold and we ported it over here and we took all of the value of real estate and stocks and put it over here, then you know, Uniswap would be doing X amount of, of volume. Maybe that's the and complete all, wrong. All way those to... numbers are extremely bullish, by the way. They are insanely bullish. But maybe they're not bullish enough. Right. Because right, they're so, the only ones we know about. <laughs> exactly. So if it's if we're only talking about like visible matter in the universe, mm -hmm. right? It's like one thing, but maybe there's all of this dark matter that's invisible that is actually going to be ported. Like, what is the total value of um, social equity, right? Mm -hmm. on, on social networks, mm -hmm. like Twitter, Facebook. Like, right. what if all of that was tokenized and started to be traded on Uniswap? Because it's not going to be traded on the NASDAQ, dude, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be traded in a permissionless open economy like Uniswap. Well, what does that imply for the valuation of Uniswap? What if there's trillions in social tokens? And this dark matter that we like convert into like visible matter that, uh, that, that comes to the fore. And so that's, I guess, one bullish case. And given a number of our podcasts recently have been like, oh my God, how fast this is happening. Like how fast Uniswap has grown to the volume of, of Coinbase. Um, like, you know, when I asked the, the final question to uh, Joel about like how long this could take, and he was like, could take 200 years. I think he was thinking like, big picture sci-fi right 200 uh -huh. years like for us right. to have that conversation in the coffee shop with future generations about how right. this whole thing played out maybe mm -hmm. that takes like 200 years but i actually think the transformation to DeFi and the unlocking of some of this dark matter mm -hmm. um that could take place really quickly like i think some of that's already decade. being built right three social networks like think about this imagine uh, jack dorsey calls you up ryan and and says like Ryan, I'm about to delete your Twitter account unless you pay me X number of dollars. How high will you go to keep your Twitter account? Yeah, I mean, it's very valuable to me, right? Pretty, like I wouldn't want to get in a bidding war with Jack Dorsey, to be honest, but. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, and that's the same kind of capital that exists in the world that is not instantiated in an asset, right? And if we could, 
like I would, I would pay, a, I very much value my Twitter account. Not only is it very fun to ship post, but I hang out with it's all real my friends estate. on Twitter. It's digital it's, real estate. It's, right. That's a great way to put it. And so all of that value could be unlocked. And that is what Web3 is. Web3 is decentralized Facebook. It's decentralized Twitter, decentralized social networks where you own all of the social capital that you have been created, which is actually being uh, captured by Twitter equity, not Ryan equity or David equity, right? David Twitter account equity. Uh, and this, we, I think we saw a very early experiment with that, with a, what's that, that BitClout platform. That's yep. what that was. That was trying yep. to instantiate social equity or Twitter equity. Uh, and that was a, I'm, there was a bunch of controversy there, but I'm glad that experiment is being played out. And one of these is going to land. And all of a sudden, if we, people will call it value creation, like we are creating a bunch of value, but perhaps it's actually just value and discovery. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's definitely more like discovery. Yeah, I agree. Right. I, um, that is an interesting question. It, it's very fascinating that, um, all of the social web property is basically like private when it feels like it should be citizen owned and public. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that Jack Dorsey could call me up and be like, yeah, extort me for money. Right. and have the ability to hit that delete button on my Twitter mm -hmm. account. Um, that's weird. That right. shouldn't be the case. That's part of they my online to, identity. They did it to the president. Right. Well, they didn't, well, they so, didn't extort him, but they just deleted it. <laughs> well, uh, who knows? I don't know. Maybe they did. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it's... Um, so I guess all that to say, um, if what Joel is saying is true, and this is actually part of the process part of the process of this new capital experiment that we're embarking on is unlocking this, this, these new areas of capital that we, we don't realize even exist, then maybe we are, uh, we're not bullish enough on DeFi, David. It's hard to, hard to say that, hard to believe I don't, that. I don't think we're ever bullish enough on DeFi, Ryan. <laughs> I keep finding new and better and stronger reasons to be even more bullish. Uh, all right. Well, good, man. That was perhaps, a good grounding perhaps that, my, that Perhaps that's my folly. This is the this is uh, I think a canonical episode for understanding governance at a very macro level in crypto and uh, also for understanding like a definition of of capital. It pairs nicely with a few of our other episodes, like the uh, the nation state episodes that you and I did. That episode with Balaji, mm -hmm. even that episode with Chris Berninsky. I can see why mm -hmm. Joel at Placeholder and Chris right. are on top of their game in yeah. uh, in this investment landscape. Any other part of thoughts? They're definitely BFFs for sure. Yeah. Um, is that what we call the episode to this title, Ryan? Maybe we should start. BFFs? The, no, not, no, governance. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe we start uh, finding the, the title for these episodes in the debrief. Governance, governance and capital. What do you think Go the title should be? Governance and capital. Hmm. Digital organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Governance, capital. Gover governance it, and capital are definitely the words here. So it should be something around could, that. We could just do what we did with Hazu, where we just call it EIP 1559. We could just say governance governance crypto governance crypto yeah that. crypto governance yeah that's the one Call guys you'll see you'll see uh, you'll, you'll see you'll figure you'll it know, out you'll know the answer to this <laughs> all right this has been uh the debrief thanks a lot for hanging with us